Amen. Y'all can be seated. You know, there's there's a time, Austin, when you you uh, were talking about having service outside. You're like, wouldn't it be cool? Now you can do it every week. So there you go. <laughs> Maybe you would envision it. It would have been uh, a little a little cooler. Um, man, right, I'm excited. We're going to be in John 17 today. We're going to be in John 17. Uh, we're just working our way through the book of John. It's a large chunk of good stuff right there. And um, this has nothing to do with my sermon. This is what's been on my mind this morning. So this is my uh, my last sermon of my 20s. All right, I'm turning 30 this week. And there's this uh, there's this song. It's the only rap song I memorized. All right, I, got, I ain't going to rap it, though. Okay, I'm not going to do it. But the song starts off. Starts off. It says, Lord, kill me if I don't preach the gospel. I'm still in my 20s, but i die if I got to. And I feel that today, man. I, I, I just want my life, I want the life of our church to be about the glory of God. Not about ourselves, not about what we can get, but how we can glorify and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's my prayer and my hope today and every day for our church that we would honor the Lord Jesus. All right, so John 17. I don't know if you ever watched like a, like a Western or an action movie, but a lot of times at, at the height of the movie, maybe one of the characters has, has another character and they're about to you know, put it into them. And they'll say this phrase. They'll say, any last words? You ever heard that? Any last words? The, the idea is, hey, when you're about to leave this earth, when you're about to leave this life, Maybe there's some communication that would be very important that you would want to be remembered by. There's a message that you would want to communicate to that, that you would want people to remember. How much more would it be important if you knew that you were about to leave this earth and you had some time with your friends to pray? And you knew this was going to be the last time that you were going to get to pray with your friends and you were praying for them. This is your, your last hopes and dreams for this friend. This is the prayer in John 17, he knows that he will not get to pray with his friends again in this life. And he wants to communicate his hopes and his desires to his friends. See, the things that he prays for in this moment are some of the most dearest and important things to him. And so if we want to honor him, we should know and understand what he asked for in the moment that he knew he was about to face the death of the cross. So we're going to read a little chunk. We're going to go through. We're going to, we're going to start with John 17, looking at verses 1 through 5. It says, Jesus spoke these things, looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you, since you gave him authority over all people, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life, that they may know the only true God and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. I have glorified you on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I have with you before the world existed. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would reveal your word to us. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just get information, but that we would, would get a sense of your presence. That you would communicate your goodness, your love, and your desires. Lord, I pray that you will be present to convict us of sin, to grant us repentance, to encourage those who are weak. Lord God, would you speak your truth 
this morning to us by your glory and your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so John 17, is, it's a prayer that breaks up into three parts. First, Jesus prays for the work that he's about to do. Then he prays for his immediate disciples, the apostles. And then he prays for the people who would believe on his name through the apostles' words, which is us. So the first thing he says is, is he prays for his work. In verse 1, he prays to the Father. He says, glorify your son so that the son may glorify you since you gave him authority over all people so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. This is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. Here's what's interesting. He is praying that the Father would glorify him. Now, we don't use that word glory a lot, but you would imagine to see something magnificent, spectacular, beautiful, something that would show how great Jesus is, but the hour he is talking about is the hour of his death. The moment of his glorification is the moment that he is on the cross. The moment when his beauty is most displayed is his dying breaths on the cross. This is counterintuitive. This doesn't make sense. But we see the glory of God shown through the sacrificial love of Christ Jesus. His glory isn't simply shown by his victory. His glory is shown in that he loved us enough to the point of death, to die on the cross for our sins. And that is the glory of God. That is how we can see both his love and his justice. Beloved, he didn't just love us in words. He didn't just have fancy feelings about us. His love was demonstrated that the nails were put through his hands and his feet. And he hung there suffering because of his love. That's how his love is demonstrated. Beloved, his justice is demonstrated there. If you ever wondered how God feels about wrong in the world, how God feels about injustice in this world, you can look right at the cross. That is how God feels about sin. That it deserves death, but he loves us so much that he would take it in our place. This is even crazier when you realize, and he says in verse 2, he says, you gave him authority over all people. So listen, his death, his, the glory of his death is magnified when you understand that Jesus Christ is the leader and the Lord and the master of everything. He did not die because he had to die. He didn't die to earn something for himself. He already deserved our, 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 our respect. He already deserved our worship. But he looks at us with compassion and he says, I'm going to use my authority. I'm going to lay down my privilege and I'm going to die. What I love about this, he says, he says, I have laid down my life. I have had this moment of bloody glory so that I will give eternal life to all those whom the father has given me. What is what is awesome about this? This talks about his sovereign grace. That if we have experienced eternal life, it's because the Father has come to us in our sin and says, you will serve the Lord Jesus. He gives us this beauty of eternal life as opposed to the death and the destruction that we have earned with our sin. 
verse 3. He says, eternal life is that we know Him. See, the eternal life that He gives is not simply about a longevity. It's not that you, not only that you live forever, but the point of the eternal life is that you would have a relational knowledge of the living God. He's not just talking about duration. He's talking about quality. That because of what Jesus has done on the cross, we can have a true and living experience with the eternal God. I struggle to even put that into words. I don't even understand how to explain it, but I know this. There was a moment when I did not know the Lord Jesus. And then there was a moment when he graciously revealed himself to me. Though I had heard words about him. I heard words like cross, resurrection, salvation. But there was a moment when those words became more than words to me, but it became an experience. That the loving, gracious God and Father of all would reveal Himself to me in Christ Jesus. Beloved, this is what I've experienced for over a decade, that when I wake up, I, I don't just have thoughts about Jesus, but the living God, He comes and communes with me. He is my friend and I know Him and He, su he supports me and sustains me, and that is what He offers to each and every one of us. The death of Jesus is not simply about a destination. It's not simply that we get somewhere. It's that we know someone. Beloved, and that is what is crazy about this. You know, when, when I came, when, when the Lord saved me, here's one thing I knew about myself. I had no uh, uh, faulty views of my own goodness. I knew, I knew I was a sinner. I knew I was wrong. But what threw me off, what, what surprised me was that the God of heaven said, even though you are wrong, even though you are sinful, I want to be your friend. I want to know you. Beloved, that is what he gives us in Jesus. We don't just have a head knowledge, but we get a sense of the preciousness and the beauty of knowing him. This is what the cross yields. True and authentic knowledge of God. He didn't only pray for his work, he begins to pray for his apostles. And what's really interesting, we need to, to pay attention. What? He could have prayed anything. It's the last time he's going to pray with them. What did he say? What did he ask? And the last moment he had praying with them, he prays for their holiness and their unity. Look at verse 11. It says, I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by your name that you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. Now, when Jesus says protect them by your name, that's not a phrase we use. But, but what he's saying is, is that, that, that the character of God would protect his disciples. In other words, he's saying, listen, the, the world would demonstrate a different type of character and a different type of action, but, but I want them to be guarded by the character of God. Like it says in Ephesians 5, when it says, be imitators of God, of his goodness, his grace, his love. See, that the, the holiness is not simply about checking off boxes of right or wrong. It is about imitating the one who is actually holy. Now, how do we know what he's like? A couple chapters back, 
he, Philip said to Jesus, look, if you would just show us God the Father, we would be really happy about that. Can you just show us what it looks like? And Jesus said, don't you understand, if you have seen, seen me, you have seen the Father. So, beloved, when he's asking them to keep them or protect them by his name, he's saying, I want you to imitate me. The character, the love of Jesus. And here's the, the crazy thing about this prayer, is he asked them to, pro to protect them by his name. We can see that holiness and unity are connected. See, the answer to Jesus' prayer in verse 11 it could not have been accomplished by one of them alone. That last clause says that they may be one as we are one. We don't, we can't, we can't fulfill the prayers of Jesus as individuals. That Jesus wants our holiness, our imitation of him to be a collective one. This view that we have of holiness is maybe a man or a woman who spends a lot of time alone and that's, that is important, but the view that Jesus has of holiness is a view of a community that seeks to imitate God together. I want you to understand something. Holiness by yourself alone in your room is a lot easier than holiness with a bunch of people. You know what I'm talking about? With you and Jesus in the room, you might be thinking all kinds of thoughts, but when you get to, next to somebody and they start getting on your nerves, that's when the holiness is going to be shown. And he says, listen, the holiness I want is not one that removes itself from relationship, but uh, the holiness I want is one that demonstrates love to those around us, even those around us that might, not might, that will offend us. This is the holiness that he wants. And he says that a unified holiness, it reflects the name or the character of the Father. In this prayer, we can see that the church is supposed to be a new countercultural community that points to the unique and good nature of the Father. But beloved, I fear too often that we are merely reflections of the world. What I see today is that, that Christians, we are often parrots. We parrot the narrative of the right or we parrot the narrative of the left. When I look at even our own church and the church broadly, I, I see divisions in the church. But what's so interesting is those divisions fall right on cultural fault lines. Beloved, this is not the uniqueness that Christ has called us to. We don't submit to another narrative. We submit to the narrative of the scriptures. Beloved, we're supposed to be a community that reflects the teachings of Jesus. When you would read and listen to the teachings of Jesus, they sound so different. Y'all, there's these things called the Beatitudes. It's the first part of Matthew 5. It's, he summarizes some of his, his teachings and he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit. He said, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are the, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the merciful. Beloved, not the cancelers, but the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Can't you see that this nature and this character is fundamentally different than what we hear today? All I see today is anger and frustration and division. But what if there was a community that is made up of all different types of people? 
that says instead of asserting my rights and my privileges, I will lay my life down for the good of my neighbor. Beloved, this, this is the holiness that Jesus is praying for. He continues to pray that his word would work in them. In, in verse 13, he says, now I'm coming to you. I speak these things in the world so that they may have joy, my, excuse me, my joy completed in them. See, the word of Jesus, the, the scriptures are supposed to bring us joy that is full. You know, that they're, they're, it, it, when we're honest, sometimes when we think about engaging the scriptures, reading the scriptures, that seems like a lot of work. We don't feel like doing it at that point in time, but... The, the joy of the word, the joy of reading the word, the joy of knowing that we will receive joy. That is what sustains the work of engaging the scriptures now. He continues, look at verse 17, it says, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. See, the word of God, that word sanctify means to set apart or set aside or, or appoint for a specific purpose. See, the word of God is what sets us apart for love. And for service, you know, I was talking to a to, to a guy this week, and I was he, he doesn't uh, he doesn't know Jesus, and and he's he's struggling with various things, and and one of the things we talked about, he says, I, I feel like I don't have a purpose. He says, I feel like I'm aimless. I'm just I'm just floating along in life. Beloved, Jesus has a work for us to do. He has set us apart for specific things. But we will not understand what we have been set apart for if we do not get in his word. This means that we have a unique purpose to fulfill the desires and the plans of God. And purpose does not come outside of familiarity with his word. Jesus, I want to set you apart for something good, something holy, something wonderful that will help and bless others. And I'm going to do it through the means of my word. So after he gets done praying for the apostles, he prays that they be holy that they would be unified, that they would stick with the word. He begins to pray for us. And he kind of prays for the same thing. He prays for our unity. Look at verse 20. He says, I pray not only for these, but also for those who believe in me through their word. May they all be one as you, Father, in me and I in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe you have sent me. I have given them the glory you have given me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me so that they may be made completely one. That the world may know you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Think, the, listen, listen. The last thing, the, the predominant thing that Jesus has prayed for his church, which is me and you, is that we would be one. That we would be unified. At the top of his list of his desires is that his church would be unified together. He prays that our unity would reflect the unity of the Trinity. Right? He says, I want them to be one, Father, as me and you are one. What is he talking about right there? How are the Father and the Son and the Spirit similar? Says, well, the, the scripture says that they have an identical nature. That the Father and the Son, they behave and act the same because their nature is exactly the same. They live in close, tight-knit love. Even in this prayer, he says, Father, I, I can't wait to be with you again 
because I will share that glory that we had and the love that we have for one another. So what does that mean for us? How can we be similar? How can our unity reflect the unity of the Father and the Son? Beloved, it means that we would strive for the same heart and for the same mind. That we would strive together to live under submission to God's Word. That we would strive together to submit every aspect of our lives to God's Word. And that we would strive together to demonstrate familial love to one another. That's how we answer that prayer. And it's a prayer that cannot be answered if we live in isolation. It's a prayer that can only be answered if we live in close proximity to one another. Now, we got to think for a minute. There are some distinctions between the Father and the Son and the Spirit, right? They're not, they're not, they're called different things. They, 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 they do different things. They have different functions. They have the same nature, the same heart, the same mind, but different functions. Right? The scripture says that the Father plans and he sends the Son. The Son comes and suffers and dies. The Holy Spirit makes us alive and applies his word in a very similar fashion. The church should have the same mind and the same desire to submit to God's word, but we do have different functions. And oftentimes our disunity comes from not understanding that we have different functions to fulfill the same overall mission. In other words, we pit things against each other that should not be. I'll give you an example. If you were to listen to a popular conversation about what the church should be doing, you'll see a division. Some says that we should have a prophetic critique of the culture. We should speak about what's happening and speak about what God wants, what he cares about, issues of, of justice and racism. We should speak about that. Then you have another part that says, well, we got to do evangelism. We just got to make sure that people know who Jesus is. And depending on how you're wired and depending on how you're gifted, maybe one of those appeals to you more than the other. But the fact of the matter is we have different functions. And we make these splits and these divisions off of things that do not have to be divided. And we divide from one another, not understanding that we have this goal to glorify Christ and to testify to all of his word. But not one of us can do that by ourselves. We make this division between word and deed. Some people say, well, we just, we just got we to gotta preach the word. Just tell me what the Bible says. Just tell me. Make sure it's right. Make sure it's clear. And some people are like, well, don't, 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 don't waste your time talking. Show me the good deeds. Who are you serving? Beloved, that is a false dichotomy. Some of us are, are going to be more naturally gifted to studying and teaching. Some of us are going to be more naturally given to the service and the demonstration. But, but when we take our particular gifting and our particular emphasis and make it the, the, the measuring stick by which I measure my brother and sister, we have these unnecessary divisions when actuality, if we would all lean into how the Lord has gifted us, we could fulfill the commands of God together. Don't allow the different functions and the different emphases to divide what God has joined together. See, the truths of the gospel are demonstrated in the church. When people who are different have different functions and different uh, loves and different desires, when they say, I'm going to love these group, this group of people called the church, and I'm going to fight for unity, the, the scripture says that that is how the world knows 
that the Father sent the Son. I want you to understand, it should be confusing when a bunch of people who are different, have different tastes, different emphasis, look different. It should be confusing when they all get together and say, we want to glorify Jesus. But it demonstrates the glory of Jesus, the one who has died for every single one of us, who sets us apart for his glory and says, now serve and love one another. And this is why the enemy attacks it. Listen, if you care about God's mission, if you care about evangelism, if you care about people knowing Jesus, according to this prayer, you will care about unity because it demonstrates the truth of what Jesus has come to do. He ends that prayer off in verse 24. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am so that they will see my glory, which you have given me because you loved me before the world's foundation. After he prays for unity, he says, I, 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 want, I, want, I want my people to make it to the end. I want them to see my glory. And this demonstrates his heart of love. Love says, I want you to be with me. Love says, I want to show you beautiful and amazing things. And, and the most beautiful and amazing thing that we could see is the glory of God. And that is our destination. As we remain in faith and repentance. Now, what, what I want you to understand is I don't want you merely to see these hopes that Jesus has as simply commands. I want you to see them as promises. I want you to understand that, that holiness is not something that you earn, but it's a gift. That unity is not something that you earn, but it's a gift. And that we are most happy, that our joy is most full when we are participating in that which God created us to do. How did he give us these gifts? Look at verse 19. He says, I sanctify myself for them so that they also may, sancti may be sanctified by the truth. What is he talking about? Jesus is saying, I set myself apart specifically through my suffering and death on the cross. I set myself apart for you, Father, in obedience to you so that they would be set apart. See, the things that were given to us are given because Jesus set himself apart in suffering. Because Jesus set himself apart in his death, in his obedience. See, our eternal life was not free. The unity was not free. The holiness was not free. He set himself apart in suffering so that we could be set apart for joy. So, so we need not look at the gifts that were purchased by his own blood and think, oh, well, maybe that doesn't matter, or maybe it's not as serious as I thought. Beloved, we would want to receive and to live out the gifts that were bought with his own blood. So what does this all mean? It means that holiness according to Jesus is not something that we can attain without unity. We will not be the people that God called us to be if we live lives of isolation. The only way that we can be the people that God called us to be is that if we live open, honest, sacrificial lives with one another. The other thing I want you to, to notice is that he said a lot about being sanctified or being made holy or being set apart by his word. See, the Word of God produces the fruits of the Spirit. I want to remind you, it says, 
the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is a particular uh, uh, common enemy, a common stumbling block that I see towards holiness these days. I would say that our form of communication promotes exactly the opposite of the fruits of the Spirit. You know, because of the pandemic, just because of how the society is, we live all our lives online. We live our lives in social engagement on social media. Listen, social media encourages anger. You know how I many people are angry? Listen, it encourages us not to listen. We get in our little silos and only listen to the people that we want to listen to. It makes us think that we are always right. It encourages us to, to view productivity as posting. We think faithfulness is hitting share. It attacks our self-control. We got we to say something to that person. We got to share that thing. Beloved, we need to, to have a clear assessment of our lives. Do our actions, do our communications, do our interactions reflect the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Remember, we're set apart by the word. James 1.19 it says, my dear brothers and sisters, understand this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. Is that how it is? Or do we always just want to say something? Beloved, holiness is shown in patience and peace and listening. And that runs every that runs against everything that we have been drinking these days. But this is what the Lord Jesus bought. The last thing I would leave you with is that unity must be strived for. Ephesians 4:3 it says, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. We don't maintain unity just by sitting there. But if we want the unity that Jesus has promised, that we would at least be present with one another. That we would carve out times in our schedule for one another. That we would care for one another. And beloved, that we would even sacrifice for one another. It is something that has to be made an effort. It's my plea to my church. Pursue one another. Love one another. Care for one another. And if you disagree about some things, Listen to one another. This is the unity that Jesus wants. The last verse in this chapter just leaves us with a promise, and that's what I want to leave you with today. Verse 26, I made your name known to them and will continue to make it known so that the love you have loved me with may be in them and I may be in them. See, Jesus promises to continue to pour out his character and love as we seek him. So although holiness and unity may be hard, we have a promise from Jesus that as we seek him, his prayer, and beloved, he gets what he prays for. His prayer is that the love of God may be revealed in our hearts over and over and over again. So we seek him and we find love and we find his life. So let's not grow weary, and let's remember the words of Jesus to seek holiness and unity. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask that by the Spirit you would uh, make your word produce the fruits of repentance. Lord, let us not be like the person that 
hears your words and then immediately forgets what you said and just walks away. But let us be doers of the word by the power of your spirit. That we would walk in obedience to what you said. So that you would receive glory and that everyone would know that you were sent by the Father. Lord, I commend our church to you. Lord, I pray that you would make us holy and unified. In Jesus' name, amen.